Welcome to Victory GP. We're excited you've joined us, and we hope you're impacted and inspired by today's message. And so today we're getting into something that I think is really interesting. Um, obviously, we are all praying, I hope you are, uh, for the Ukraine. Uh, right now, this is like a, a situation that is mind-boggling. Um, it's been brewing for quite some time, but it's really hard to think about the people that are suffering um, through that right now. However, we know that God is at work. And I thought it was so funny this morning, I opened my phone um, and the first headline that I saw was um, Elon Musk is actually Iron Man. So did anybody else? <laughs> okay, so the idea is the Ukraine had Russia like cut off all of their um, internet and access to those kind of technological services. And so Elon Musk activated whatever thing he has in space to give them dedicated service so that they can communicate with each other and the rest of the world, right? Like overnight, and so it's kind of like the Marvel movies and all of that stuff. But the point is, I think it's so interesting how we can focus on one guy has changed things for them just overnight, which he has, that, praise God. I also believe many, 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 many hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people have been praying, God, do something to help them. And I believe God ministered to his heart and he responded. He's also Canadian, so that I think is kind of awesome. But... Um, Anyway, these things are happening, and it's really challenging for us. You know, when we watch what's gone on in our own nation, it's happening, you know, fights and, and battles and things that are happening in other nations around the world. What do we do with it? How do we pray? How do we respond? How involved do we get? Do we just sit back and say, well, God's got it all. Let's just watch and see what's going to happen. Or do we get super invested? What do we do? And last week, Pastor George preached a brilliant message on prayer. That was so good. Did you guys enjoy that? If you weren't here and you didn't get to see it, you really need to. There was some super good keys in there and a breakdown of the different types of prayer and how that works in the kingdom. And so this is uh, kind of the next piece to that. So today we're talking about kingdom control. Kingdom control, which is a bit of a, it, this is going to be um, probably one of the ones that challenges our thinking the most. And so dig deep, but we're going to get into the why things happen the way they do and what can we do about it? What, what is our part? What is God's part? What is, you know, how much control is there and who has it? How does this work? And so the kingdom of God is, is part of, is what we're living in. We are in this world, this natural kingdom, but we're not of it. In other words, we belong to a different kingdom. So no matter what nation of the earth you were born in or where your earthly citizenship is, we can all share the same citizenship of heaven, right? So from that perspective, the same people, um, people group, the, the believers in Jesus Christ, the kingdom of heaven citizens, from all around the earth right now, we know that there's conflict in the Ukraine. We can all pray in agreement. No matter whether we're, we're, we've come up in a communist environment, we've come up in democracy, we've come in, up in a dictatorship, whatever, we all, as kingdom of heaven citizenships, uh, citizens, we agree on how to pray according to God's word over the Ukraine. And we are praying, your kingdom come, your will be done. We are praying some of the very specific things that are in the word, and we're in agreement about it. So from this perspective, let's just reiterate and recover once again what a kingdom is. I don't think I have the screen for this one, but 
according to Dr. Miles Monroe, which is a, a super good breakdown of this, the kingdom is a governing influence of a king over his territory, impacting it with his will, his purpose, and his intentions, producing a citizenry of people who express his culture and reflect his nature. And so when we're talking about the kingdom of God, we're talking about the governing influence that is not a political thing so much as it is the government of God influencing his dominion, the places where he is, our lives, the places where he sends us so that we express his culture or what is, what is worth celebrating and what is worth um, blocking in his culture and we reflect his nature. And so it should be that we as God's people, when people encounter us, they encounter him. When they, when they meet us, when they have a conversation with us, it's a decent reflection of who he is. When they bump into what we feel is right or it's wrong, it should be a good reflection of what God says is right or wrong. Sadly, that has not always been the case with just religion. Um, there, I, one of my favorite movies is the kingdom of heaven one just because I like the swords and the horses but um (laughs) whatever (laughs) but they're forever yelling God wills it God wills and then they like kill people I kind of doubt it I don't think he's really into that like all the stuff that they're shouting God wills is just really man wills and put a cross on it like they they they, there's this misconception and so when we look at world history kind of post Jesus that's what a lot of religion looks like. Just a lot of people screaming, God wills it. But God's like, and no, not, that wasn't me. That's not my intention. So we want to make sure that we're coming back and we're recognizing that if we're part of the kingdom, we are reflecting him. We are expressing his culture and we are reflecting his nature. We have a relationship with him. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the three chairs. We talked about the stranger, the servant, and the son. And these types of relationships that we have with God, a stranger doesn't know God at all, doesn't walk with God. A servant may know God, but chooses to live almost like a stranger, chooses to live in the way that I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to serve you. I'm trying to please you. I'm trying to earn my way through. I'm trying to do the right stuff, get the right things, be in the right places. I don't want to upset you, whatever. A son knows that it's about love. And out of love, I serve. Out of love, I honor. Out of love, I give. I'm in that place where I know that I can't even possibly be worthy on my own of being your kid. You chose me. And so I get to. So I'm going to live in the fullness of that. So beyond that relational side of it then is the rulership side. And so the rulership side is kind of the kingdom control. So if I say that I'm a stranger to God, then who rules my life? The mindset would be me. We, we think that. We think that it would be me. But the New Testament says on repeat that we're under the sway of the wicked one. That we're basically slaves to sin. We're, we're, we're subjects to this earthly master that is out to steal, kill, and destroy us. So if I'm a stranger to God, I'm under the rulership or the reign of somebody who's trying to kill me. Fantastic. <laughs> But I feel like I get to make that choice. You know, like it's, it's a weird deception that's in our, in our thinking processes here. When we look at what is a son, a son is in relationship with God. It means who rules my life. 
God. God should be the one ruling my life. God should be the one who's saying, this is good for you. This is not good for you. This is a good time. This is not a good time. This is where you should be going. This is where you should not be going. God is the ruler of my life, and I choose to stay in that place. Now, what about the servant in the middle? So the servant has a relationship with God or has made a choice to be, be a citizen of heaven. However, the servant also wants to do it their own way. So I feel better about my relationship with God if I earn my way to be in that place. I feel better. I feel like I'm worthy to ask God of stuff. I'm worthy to come into his presence if I've done the right things. And if I have not done the right things, then I kind of punish myself. I banish myself from his presence. I decide that it's not, I'm not able to be there with him. I'm not worthy to worship. I'm not worthy to pray. But it also means then I, I treat my whole life that way. It's my life, it's my choices, it's my money, it's my family, it's my kids, it's my job, it's my career, it's mine. I fit into this place where really I can have pieces that I let God rule and pieces that if I'm saying it's mine, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine, I'm actually surrendering over to the rulership of this realm. So suddenly we can be like Pastor Brad said, thank you for the testimony, that was super good by the way. Um, we can be in that place where it's like, if I'm a Christian, if I'm God's kid, and this is how it looks, you suck, <laughs> right? But God's like, no, we ha you have the access, but you're doing it on your own terms, meaning you are suffering the consequences of this broken realm, even though you could live in the goodness of my realm. Because John 10, 10 straight up says that he is life and life abundantly, but this, this down here realm is about stealing, killing, and destroying. So if my life is a constant string of death, and destruction, and pain, and suffering, chances are there's something that needs to be surrendered to God. Does that make sense? So we're talking about there's this kingdom thing, and we need to make sure that we put the power in the right place, and we put the responsibility in the right place. And when we do, suddenly this walk with God is just so much more fun, so much more fulfilling. So walking through this, we're going to just look at three quick things that will help us understand. I will just tell you, if you've been around religious circles for any length of time, um, this will grate on you. Thank you for coming today. So glad you're here. It even grates on me. I'm a pretty independent thinker and I like to do my own stuff. So this, this issue of control is something that I work through. Like even as a kid, I, I think I might have been spanked daily. I'm not sure, but it was, <laughs> you can tell me where the boundary lines are, but I want to prove that that's where the boundary line is, you know? So I'm working on being more surrendered to the Lord, but sometimes I'm still having a little moment where God has to work through stuff with me. So number one, who's in charge? Who's in charge? What is in God's power or control and what is outside of his power or control? And we have this journey that we walk through in religious circles. We have phrases that we say that are so unhelpful. Um, and so we need to kind of flush a few of those today and move forward. Um, Matthew 26, 53 and 54 is this interesting little bit where Jesus is in the garden. It's just before he's arrested. Uh, we know that the journey that he'd been on, he literally had just been praying to the Father and he knows what's coming. And he prays and he's like, 
I, I really don't want to do this, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Right? And you see he's wrestling. He's in this realm where, where there is pain, there is suffering, but he knows there's a kingdom purpose that he is part of that changes everything. He is part of a kingdom plan. And he very purposefully in that prayer, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He very purposefully prays and surrenders to a kingdom plan. He surrenders to a higher picture than the one that's right around him. But the guys that he's with are not so quick on the uptake. So uh, Matthew 26, verse 53, it says, and Jesus said, this is, Peter actually just cuts off, uh, he cuts off the priest's ear or the priest's servant's ear. And Jesus says to him, put your sword in its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? How then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? Put your sword in its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Put your earthly tool down because everybody who decides to live and die by their earthly tool will, will live in that realm. There will be the consequences if you are choosing to live and function in this earthly realm. You're choosing to, to use the earthly tools. You'll die by the earthly tools. There, there's this earthly thing. If we were with Jesus the day he's getting arrested in the garden, I am very certain almost all of us would whip out our sword and try and fight. I, I mean, I just this happens to be a room full of fighters. We're like, point us at something. Just give us a direction, you know? So Peter does this. Peter's the guy. And he's like, no, this can't happen. And Jesus says, if you live by this sword, if you, if you are functioning by this sword, you will perish by the sword. Do you not think that I can now pray to my father and he will provide me more than 12 legions of angels? Don't you think... Don't you think if it was really supposed to go a different direction that the father would come in and he would take over? Don't you think I could ask for heavenly assistance, but I'm not because there's something bigger going on than what it is you can understand. He's saying that there's this shift that you don't understand. There's a kingdom purpose behind what looks difficult. And for us, as we're walking through life, we really, I, I find this very refreshing. I think it's interesting when we go through the hard stuff, how quick we are to try and fix it, alleviate it, change it, do something. And sometimes there's something bigger going on. When we are kingdom focused, we will pause long enough to at least ask. Kingdom focus is like, God, what are you doing here? How do I pray? How do I function? How do I serve? But what, what happens in our natural way of thinking is we, we say things like, we say, uh, it, it must have just been God's will. Something bad happens, oh, it just must have been God's will. Or we'll say, well, God must have known that you could handle it. You're strong. What scripture is that? I, you know, that doesn't make a ton of sense. Or, or the ever famous, um, well, when God closes a door, he'll open a window. That is found nowhere, verse nowhere, chapter nowhere. Um, that, that's not what it says. It says that when you're being tempted, God will make a way of escape for you. That's not the same thing as when bad things are happening. You just look for the window. 
It's a totally different concept, right? We'll say things like, well, God must have been trying to teach you something. Really? Okay. And then we'll say things like, well, it's, it's really bad. Well, you know what? God's still on the throne. True. He is. But what does that mean for me right now then? If he's on the throne and my life sucks... Where is he? How how is that supposed to help me right now? Or we'll say, this is scripture. God will work all things together for good. Yes, but that does not mean that for all people in all situations and every bad thing that happens, God's like, oh, I'm just looking for an opportunity to do something good. No, it means that when something bad happens, usually because of our own choices, or the, the natural choices of men, God will take it and he will work it together for good. So for instance, we had, uh, we had our, our uh, grandkids sleeping with us, sleeping over this weekend, this weekend, and you know, we, we had all the sippy cups were in the dishwasher. So real cups with open tops. So the instruction is, you're gonna have to have two hands. You know, when you drink, use two hands. My mistake was there were cookies and milk. So of course the cookies go in the milk. Um, so, you know, what, as soon as the, the one hand's on the cup and one hand's on the cookie, it's just a matter of time before the milk is everywhere. And um, so suddenly we, we refill, clean it up, refill the milk. Now the cup stays on the table. There's one hand on the cup and the cookie's going in. But as soon as they wanted to drink the milk, they picked it up with both hands, right? A lesson was learned. So I could say, well, something good came out of it. They, were, they learned something through sitting in wet milk and the spill that happened and whatever. But I didn't make anybody spill anything. I said, if you do this, you will spill and it'll be gone. We have these things where God says, do it this way. We go, I want to do it this way. And because we do it this way, we have the consequences. And so God says, okay, I'm going to work this together for good. And yes, you will probably learn something. There'll be a lesson that comes out of it. And the next time you do it, it's, there's something good that has come out of your life. But God doesn't just go, okay, here, I'm going to just make all this garbage happen in your life so that you'll learn. I'm going to have make all this garbage happen in your life so that I can prove to you how I can work it together for good. I'm going to make all this garbage happen in your life so that you'll just reach out for me. No, he lets us make our choices. And when we have the consequences of poor choices, we suffer a little bit and God comes in and he can work it together for good. Are you with me? I'm just saying we need to put the, the picture where it goes and not say just dumb blanket statements that are meant to make people feel good, but just make them mad. Honestly, how many of you have had somebody give you one of those little cliches and you're like, oh, stuff it. Like you're, you might smile about praise Jesus, but you're thinking, mm, I don't need another window. I need a prison break. You know, I, we need some major changes happen. We know. So Romans 8, 28 is that it, he works all things together for good, but it does not say he causes things so that he can work things together for good. Andrew Womack puts it this way, and I think it's really, really great. Uh, God is sovereign in the sense that he is paramount and supreme. There's no one higher in authority or power, but that does not mean he exercises his power by controlling our lives. And that's the difference. So God is here. There's a kingdom thing that's above us, 
but God's not going to control us. He will work with the choices that we make and always give us an opportunity. Pastor George said it super well last week when he said, we don't work for God, we work with God. We don't work for God, we work with God. So the more we come into partnership with his kingdom plan, the more we experience his fullness. We get to be part of things. So Bill Johnson has this quote that has lit the internet on fire on multiple occasions, so I'm gonna use it. Um, <laughs> he says, God is, in, uh, God is in charge, but he's not in control. God is in charge, but he's not in control. See, I can feel the wheel spinning right there. I actually think he says it exactly that way so that we will pause and grind that through. What do you, what do you mean by that? How, what do you mean he's not in control? Well, let's just say... Let's just say some random country like Russia goes in and attacks the Ukraine and starts shooting and bombing innocent people. If we sit back and go, well, God's in control. What does that say about the people that are being bombed? What does that say about the suffering? What does that say about my responsibility to pray? What does that say about my responsibility to engage? What does it say about the, the arrogance of men and women to, who are power hungry and do things and just take over stuff that hasn't been given to them by God? If we just say, well, God's in control, it gives us an exit plan contrary to the kingdom plan. So the kingdom plan says, okay, God's in charge, but he's not in control necessarily. So let me just land on this for a minute. The in control by our definition means he is deciding the yeses and nos of all things. But Genesis from the very beginning said that we have been given authority to fill the earth and subdue it or bring it into order, right? So man was meant to govern over the earth as a delegated authority, Fair enough? So man decides to sin. We know this story. Man gives this authority over to the enemy and, and the earth falls under the sway of the wicked one. So Jesus comes and he lives as the perfect, perfect God, perfect man, walks it through, is sinless, dies on the cross, pays the cross, pays the cost for us and gets it back. Every one of us who comes into relationship with Jesus Christ now walks in that authority with him. And we have the same kind of thing available to us where now we release heaven on earth wherever we go. That's why we pray. What would be the point if God is just, he's just going to do whatever he wants anyway. Why would Jesus have taught the disciples to pray and ask, your kingdom come, your will be done? Why would we pray for God's will to be done if he's going to do what he wants anyway? right? So when you pause on it for just a little minute, you can see that what we really struggle with as humans is when we don't know why bad things happen, we just attribute it to God. We don't know the answer, so we'll just go, well, God knows, whatever. What we need to make sure that we're doing, though, is keep God in the place that is God's and give the, the, the credit for the brokenness where that belongs, which is the enemy of our souls. He's a good God, he's a bad devil, and we need to pick a team.
So, right? So this is the place that we were, we're walking through with this. The idea of being in charge then, if God is in charge, but he's not in control. And again, I wouldn't probably put it these ways. I think Bill Johnson actually just wants to stir the pot. So, and it, it works. But in charge means he's ultimately responsible. So it's the same concept as sovereign, the real meaning of sovereign. And interestingly, if you study that out, if you're reading, you know, uh, NIV or a New Living Translation, so for instance, it will say in, in Acts 4 where the apostles get arrested and set free, and then they go and they gather to pray and they pray, Sovereign Lord. That's not actually the right word. Um, that's our translated version that comes down. It, the, the original is just Lord God or the one who is above it all, the ultimate one who is in charge. But we have this word that we pop in through the translations of sovereignty that's based on our understanding of it. So if we're using the word sovereign, because we just say that, right? God is sovereign. What do we mean when we say that? We mean, usually, human, humanly, we mean God can ultimately do whatever he wants. True. But what he wants to do is delegate authority for stewardship of the earth to mankind, and he wants to work with us. He wants to release. He is ultimately in charge, meaning he's ultimately responsible. So if you look at it as a parent, for instance, and I am, I've got a babysitter. The babysitter is, is in control of the night, supposedly. Kids jump off the couch, break the lamp, shave the cat, whatever. <laughs> I, that was not an idea for any of our 10 to 13-year-olds that are in the room right now. Suppose these things happen. The babysitter is, has control of the situation, right? But ultimately, as a parent, I come home and I'm in charge. So ultimately, I will have to deal with the naked cat. I will have to buy a new lamp. I will have to fix things. It's ultimately me who is responsible. So if we look at it that way, this is God's thing. God says, you know, I want you to have free will. I've designed you to have free will. I'm going to let you know what my intentions are. You just have to read the book to know how God says this is how you should live that you would experience abundant life. This is how finances work. This is how relationships work. This is how love works. This is how forgiveness works. This is how kindness works. This is how we steward the land. This is how we take care of the earth. But I'm leaving you free will. So the free will means ultimately, I'm responsible for what you choose to do, but I want you to have the choice. And so I'm placing myself at your disposal. Invite me in anytime. Welcome me in anytime. Use my principles anytime. There will come an end of the day when our king comes and it, it is over and then the reckoning happens. It's like mom and dad coming home at the end of the night and the babysitter is there and what did you do with what I gave you? This is where we give an account. So what, what we're saying here is that, yes, God is sovereign, but if we want him to step in on the big stuff and just take over regardless, it means that you would have no choice about anything. 
this is your life, this is your faith, this is your mate, this is how many kids you get, this is where you're going to live, this is what you're going to do, no choices, you don't get to choose your career, you don't get to choose your, you know, your conversations, you don't choose anything. If God takes over, all of that is gone. What he gives us the opportunity to do is he's saying, I'm, you know what, ultimately I'm here to make sure that there will be parameters on this thing. I'll come in, I'll step into any place you invite me, but make good choices. Here's how you make good choices. When we see the brokenness in the world, we cannot say, God, you failed us. We say, God, where have we failed? Because the word tells us that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, I will turn. I will listen, I will forgive their sins, I will heal their land. If we just sit and go, why God, why? Because you're sovereign, you could fix it. He's like, so could you. It's an interesting concept, right? Some of us really just need to shift our thinking on this basic stuff. The legal definition of being in control is to the ability to directly or indirectly Direct the cause or direction or management of policies or a person. So directly or indirectly, direct or cause the direction. So God from heaven and now through us, he, he coaches. You know, like, left, left again. Okay. You know, I mean, he's, he's, he's working with us. And the more we are tuned to his voice, the more we experience that constant flow. He'll direct it. He'll nudge it. He'll move it. He'll shift things. Lots of times when we look at, you know, it's totally unfair, you know, that um, God hardened Pharaoh's heart when the Israelites were being released from Egypt. What a, that's, that's not fair at all. Except that it says that the cries of the people had reached the ears of God. They were so desperate in their bondage. And God knew that they needed to fully and completely leave. And they were leaving with the wealth of their captors. They were leaving with strength. They were leaving with health. And so in the hardening of Pharaoh's heart became the toughening of the resolve of the Israelites to live the way God intended for them to live. Sometimes we just have to know that when we don't just say whatever when the hard things happen, but we stay connected to who God is. And we recognize that there's this partnership. We are working with God. Does that make sense? I know this is like a big concept, but basically we could say it this way. God just doesn't make me do anything, but he'll partner with me as I move right? He doesn't make me do anything. So how does this work? Breaking this down. Number two, how does this work? Earthly kingdoms confront one another. There are wars, there's conquest, domination, there's surrender. There's this shift over uh, power, resources, wealth. It's a physical contact. So earthly kingdoms are about, you see this movement of power. If you look back in the, the maps of world history and you see like when the, the Greeks and the Romans like took over, there's different, different moments when there's, there's um, the, the British empire took over. There's stuff where you just see the, the, the flag on the map moves, but the, the earth itself does never change, right? You just see the rulership changes and it advances because of this physical power, this physical brute strength. Spiritual kingdoms, though, are relationally and influentially driven. So track with me. Physical kingdoms, earthly kingdoms, there's going to be this conquest. So, you know, even when, when uh, you know, a lot of people have been over this, 
this last season, you know, where a lot of stuff's going on. Why doesn't the church like revolt? Why aren't we doing, you know, we really, first and foremost, we needed to do was pray. We also then get practical instructions from those prayer times, but we are relationally driven. So it's not about this domination. When we look at for instance, the, the things that have happened, the crusades, the, the pushback of, of um, Islam, you know, the stuff that's gone on, these holy wars, not holy at all. That's earthly kingdom stuff. That's natural realm where people are using force to push their way into territory that hasn't previously belonged to them. The kingdom of God is influence. It's subtle. It's, it's, it's a heart kind of thing. We could say it's influence and not enforcement, or it's leaven, not law. It's influence, not enforcement. So when we want our nation to change, we want Canada to change, we do need to see laws change. We do need to see some government things happen. We do need to see some of the unrighteousness that has been, um, you know, it's become part of our system. We need to see that reverse. But how does that change? Yes, we vote. Yes, we write letters. Yes, we do the practical things that we can. But when we live the kingdom, when we share the kingdom, when we're part of the kingdom, when we're praying, when we're, we're engaging people in a healthy manner, the reality is if our government officials knew Jesus, it would be unthinkable to pass some of the laws that are passing, right? So we can go at it the force way, the, the earthly way, or we can go at it the kingdom way and say the kingdom of God is advancing. It's leaven. It's something that works its way in. Matthew 13, 33, Jesus specifically said, in another parable, he spoke to them, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal until it was all leavened. So literally, this is Jesus talking. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven. I don't bake, but I have the basic concept of yeast. Um, I like things that have yeast in them. Let's put it that way. Uh, but essentially, you know, you get the, you've got your like giant loaves of bread that come out of this little tiny scoop of yeast that goes in and works its way through the dough. It means that how does somebody like me, how does somebody like you affect change in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your city, in your province? like leaven. It's not from the outside, it's subtle from the inside. It's, it, you know, if, if our bosses that we're complaining about, we spend half as much time praying for them, probably something would change. The coworker that we really can't stand, you know, if we would bless them, we'd have a real conversation with them. We'd find out why they are the way they are, what they've been going through, what's their story. And we could engage the love of Jesus with that situation. It would change. When we, we look at our, our government officials, you know, and instead of just like, this is what you should do for me, God, I pray that they would encounter you. I have never prayed so many prayers for spiritual dreams for our leaders as I have in the last season. Because I feel like when you, when you encounter God, even in the sleep, you know, sometimes it bypasses some of the brain stuff and, and the heart speaks. So, you know, an encounter with Jesus changes everything. So Jesus says the kingdom of heaven works like leaven. He also said, and this is in like repeated in the gospels, but Mark 8, 15, he charged them saying, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Interesting choice of words, right? 
Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. The Pharisees is the religious spirit and Herod is uh, the, the political spirit. So the religious spirit and the political spirit love to partner together. This is an interesting thing to note. Because when we look at world domination over world history, it usually has a religious component along with the political component. And together, it's so self-righteous and we have a right to dominate. So we have to be very aware that that wants to infiltrate our thoughts and our minds. It wants to change our thinking. That political spirit is really about what I want, what I can have, what I can enforce, how I can manipulate, who I need to talk to for my purposes so I can get what I want. The religious spirit takes it on and goes, well, it's the right thing to do. It's the right. God wants this. God has almost nothing to do with most of the stuff that has the religious flag on it. So when those two things come together, what we end up with is a church that is unable to accomplish anything. If that stuff infiltrates, we become completely stagnant. We're so caught on the stuff. And so I'm sure that sounds very interesting to you considering I, I do like politics a lot. I do feel very responsible in our nation that we need to be righteous in what we do. However, my understanding of it really is where we have been given authority by the earthly system that we're in, we should take it. So for instance, previous uh, decades have experienced where the the believers, church people, have shown up in almost zero attendance to vote. That has changed a lot in recent years. I think that's important. The nation goes to those who vote, those that show up. And so we get to raise a righteous voice because we've been invited into it. I think when we've been given the opportunity to write letters and, you know, do things, we should do that. I think in, in kindness, in grace, we should share what it is that God would say about the situation. But way more important than that is living the kingdom and living that prayer life where we're calling for God's will to be done, where we're engaging heaven's ideas in this moment, where we're putting a draw on heaven to see lives changed, where we see truly Christian nations, truly God-fearing nations, we see everything else come into line. There's a balance that shifts because the, the earthly will uh, follow what's happening in the spiritual. But this idea of the leaven then, when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, and he says that this, this leaven of the Pharisees, the leaven of Herods, we have to be on guard for, it tells us that we're like that lump and something's going to be influencing us at all times. It also means that we will be influencing at all times. So we have to choose what's coming in. It means very consciously in every day, I am deciding, you are deciding, I am part of the kingdom of heaven. I know it looks like around me, everything is a complete disaster, but I'm not in fear. I'm not intimidated. I'm not overly oppressed by it because I'm part of the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven has an answer for this. And so even though I have to live here, I put a draw on that and I get my instructions from him and I leak it out wherever I go. I influence, I leaven where I go. But if I'm not consciously aware of it, I have to be aware that it's leaking into me in reverse. That if I'm not purposefully trying to live in the kingdom, then I'm going to be influenced by the kingdoms of this world. And they're going to shift my thinking. And I'm going to have these random ideas and conversations. Have you ever noticed when you have like a word from God about a certain topic, you might talk to 20 people that day and none of them agree with you? 
and you're like suddenly tempted to be like, maybe I didn't hear right. No, it's possible you did hold the ground and leaven the lump. It's, this is how things begin to change. So the actual idea, uh, the definition of leaven is to permeate, to modify, and then transform. To permeate and modify and then transform. So by permeating, by, by living the kingdom, we carry the kingdom. The kingdom influences the world around us. The kingdom has, has, has become this thing that is who we are instead of what we're just fighting to see happen. Leif Hetland says it this way. In order to change a culture, we need to have a different culture in us. In order to change the culture, we have to have a different culture in us. So in other words, I can look on the outside. I can try and change the outside. But if I'm of it, I can't change it. It's the same thing as when Jesus said, you know, the, the, the prince of, of this realm is coming to me, but he has nothing in me. He can't influence me. The enemy has nothing in me, so he can't influence me. It's very hard for me to address a political spirit or a religious spirit if I'm walking in a political spirit or a religious spirit, right? I can't cast anything out if I got it. I'm, I'm partnered with it. I'm coming into agreement with it. So I believe in this kingdom hour that God is calling us to keep ourselves really clean before him really right before him that we're evaluating what is it that I am partnered with. If, if God is not, he's not controlling everything I do, but he's partnering with me in it and he's ultimately responsible, then I want to see his kingdom come. I want to see his will be done through my life. And if, if that's going to happen, I have to make sure that I'm not packing around other kingdoms. I'm not where, I, mean, I am not the UN here. I am not packing around all the flags of all the nations, you know, and all their policies and all their stuff. I have a kingdom and that's what I live by. That changes the world around me, which is so super cool. First Corinthians 5, 8. Therefore, let us keep the fast, not with old leaven, nor with the unleavened, or sorry, with the leaven of malice or wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So in other words, this verse gives us another example of we're going to have one or the other. We'll either be living with this, this flavor of malice and wickedness, or we'll be living with the flavor of sincerity and truth, but they don't coexist. So one or the other is influencing my life and what comes out of me will be part of that. Matthew 5, 15 and 16 Jesus said, no, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Isn't that interesting? Like when you just sit on that for a minute, let your light, well, I don't know what to do about the situation. Let your light so shine before men. That person is such a jerk. If they, mm, we need to get them out of power. We need to, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. How do we get people to understand how good God is? We live in the light. We live in that, we influence just by who we are, how we are, what we do, how we respond, what we speak, what we engage. It's built right into who the kingdom really is meant to be. So number three, we're going to finish up with this. Where is the source then? So that's great. 
I, I, I can live in the light. I can influence. God is ultimately in charge. He's ultimately responsible, but he wants to partner with me on how things operate. He's not just in control of everything. He's not just, you know, that, that, the concept of sovereign, again, our breakdown of it, it's really just a human understanding thing. Like the original word, Lord God, is what was used. Lord God. We've translated it as sovereign, but sovereign has come through the filter of a lot of faulty kings and queens, right? So we have, we've shifted it to being, well, if it's bad, he's sovereign. If it's good, he's sovereign, whatever. No, he's Lord God over it all. He is the king of glory, and he is always and only good, the father of lights, where every good and perfect gift comes, right? Right? So where is the source then? If that's what I'm living in, God's sovereign, I'm supposed to be, uh, you know, living in partnership with him. I'm an extension of the kingdom. I'm supposed to be leaven. How do I do that when life sucks? <laughs> John 15, 1 to 8 is the passage of the, the vine that Jesus talks about. And it's such a beautiful thing because I believe that this is, this is like the key that we have to tie into. I think Pastor Brad again hit it so well. We can say that we're in faith. We can say we're in relationship, but if we're not actually living the relationship, we don't experience what he has for us. So if we're going to experience kingdom stuff, we have to live a kingdom life. And if you read through the gospels, you see that Jesus was utterly committed to his personal time with the father. He was like, I don't do anything unless I hear it from him. I don't say anything unless he says it. I, he would find out what was the will of God for the situation. He would find out where to go. I love the scripture where the disciples come and they're like, everybody's looking for you. Oh, and then he gives them the next directions for the day. He doesn't even answer it. He doesn't give an excuse. He doesn't say, oh, I'm so sorry about that. No, he's about the father's business. So God wants us to be about the father's business. So if we look at this, and I would highly recommend just meditating on this passage this week, um, because this is what God is calling us into, this kind of abiding that's, it's just all him. It's the life source that we hang on to. It's, it's the plan that he has for our lives. I'm going to just actually start at verse one. It says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Now, verse four and five are such a big key here. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So that passage right there has this, this indicator that it's God's desire that we bear fruit, that we are leavening everywhere that we go, that we, new word, um, but we're changing things. We're bearing fruit that reflects him, brings glory to him wherever we go. But without abiding in him, we can do nothing. I don't think that that's a mischoice of words. That's the actual that's the intention. There, nothing, like it just becomes this dead thing that we're pushing through without him. To abide means to stay, to continue, to dwell, and to be present. So he says, if, if my words abide in you, if you abide in me, there's this 
thing that happens. Verse seven, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Pastor George talked about prayer last week. He talked about the, the effective prayer that we offer. How could Jesus possibly say you can pray what you desire and it will be done for you? We've all prayed stuff and it didn't happen, right? Or is that just me? Y'all are like 100 percenters. Okay, so you can pray what you desire and it will be done for you. How does that happen? It's because you've been abiding in me and my words are abiding in you. In other words, we're tied together and you're asking according to my will. You're not asking your stuff. You're asking my stuff. I'm helping you ask the right thing. It's like if you give your kids the choice of like veggies or French fries, you know, for lunch, they're going to choose the fries, right? But if you help them choose the right thing, you know, God is helping us choose the right things here. He's, he's saying, if you abide in me, you spend time, you, you will get out of your flesh and you'll ask what's the right thing to ask for. And then it says, by this, verse 8, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so you will be my disciples. Now, one thing I just wanted to mention in this, because sometimes it's like, man, I've been praying, and it just it feels like, I don't, you know, I don't even know what to do. I, I'm just like, I'm just kind of at my wit's end with life. There's this um, time in the vineyard system when, when uh, grapes are being uh, grown for, for uh, new wine and there's, there's stuff that's happening and there's processes along the way. But there is this thing called regulated deficit irrigation. Oh yeah, it's that good. Regulated deficit irrigation. So it literally is applied at the specific time, just for those of you who might want to plant a vineyard, applied at a specific time between fruit set and verizon. Whatever that means. So some, it's very close to when the, the grapes are harvested. But the grapes are growing. The, the, the flowers have come. The little sprouts come so that the grapes begin to grow. But there's a certain quality that's needed for each type of wine. So some need more sugar. Some need more whatever in them. And there's ways that because of what is the desired outcome, that the master uh, gardener will come along and he removes the water at the right time to produce the maximum of that thing. So it's a very specific process that happens. And at the right time, they pull back on the water source. And what happens is that instead of the, the vine shooting out all the little shoots and the leaves, which would make it look good, it stops shooting out other leaves and it throws all its energy into growing the fruit. So if you look at the vine itself, it doesn't maybe look that pretty, but something incredible is being produced. And so the, the description, I actually read this off a horticultural site for your listening pleasure. I had to look up some words. Um, but, you know, it says that the gardener, will, he'll be watching because it's just this fine-tuned thing where if it's, if it's too much or it's too little, either things begin to dry up prematurely or it doesn't have quite the effect. And so it can only, this, this um, withdrawal of the water can only happen so long. In other words, in no other time is the hand of the gardener so close to the grapes, so close to the, the process. No, no other time is the eye of the one ultimately in charge watching. But it probably feels horrible. 
It probably feels like, you know, we're dying out here. Where did the water go? But what happens is inside then the branches, this thing opens, stomata or something opens, and it puts this draw on the vine and it pulls all the good stuff out of it and feeds it right into the grapes. And so in the same way, there are times where it's like, it's so hard. God, I know you're good, but it just feels so hard. I just want to encourage you. We cannot then, you know, flow into this concept of, well, God's sovereign. I guess he wants us to suffer. He's probably trying to teach me something. Or, you know, maybe there's a lesson to be learned in this. Maybe one door is closing and a window will open. And you, We have to be very alert in these times where it's a little bit pressured up. And I would just say all of us right now are probably feeling some pressure. So the kingdoms of this realm want us to lean into these other systems, these other mindsets, this other leaven. It's available for us to grab onto. But if we hang on to the kingdom mindset, then even when it feels a little bit tense, we can know that because of how Jesus expressed it, that I'm in you and you're in me and you're going to bear fruit and the Father's going to be glorified, that even in the midst of the hard stuff, even in the midst of when it looks like our nation is you know, in trouble, when it looks like the nations of the world are, there's a kingdom thing that's happening. And if we'll lean into him, there will be enough. There will be a supply. These gardeners never hold the water so long that the fruit dies. There is always enough, but sometimes it's just enough so that they draw really hard off the vine. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. I believe in this season, God wants us to draw really hard off of him. We need to make sure that we're as open to him internally as possible, that we don't bite into these other things that are available to us for us to bite into. Let me just say, for instance, our nation. God has spoken a prophetic destiny over this nation. He's given word to it. He's given scripture to it. I can look at the natural at what's happening, or I can lean into the kingdom, and I can put a big draw on God, and I'm not going to bite into the political spirit, and I'm not going to bite into the religious spirit, and I'm not going to bite into malice. I am going to choose to release light. I'm going to choose to release life. I'm going to choose to pray. I'm going to choose to engage. I can look at my marriage or my children or my work situation or my finances or whatever, and I can bite into, well, God must be trying to teach me something. Or I can say kingdom-wise, your kingdom come, your will be done. Whatever the outside looks like, I am putting a deep draw on you and I know that you're gonna help me know what to pray because I'm abiding in you and you're abiding in me and I'm a kingdom kid and you've called me to walk in your influence. You've called me to make a difference. You've called me to live the kind of life that brings you glory and reflects your character and your nature and your culture. I'm gonna put a big draw on you right now and then I'm gonna pray what you tell me to pray. I'm going to pray what it is. And and I'm going to, according to what Jesus said, I'm going to pray whatever I ask and it's going to be done because I'm going to ask what the kingdom tells me to ask and not what this system tells me to ask. God is sovereign, meaning he is ultimately in charge, but he's given us a lot of control over the situations around us and he's left us free will. So let us choose this day who we will serve and see what he wants to produce out of our lives. Amen. Amen. I'm going to have the worship team come. And we're going we're gonna to finish with a bit of a declaration. Could we do that song that Jordan 
did a song too, whatever that one was. Um, again, and we want we wanted to just sing, but I want to tell you this morning, you know, whatever you're going through, and I know that there is some really brutal stuff going on right now. I want to just relieve you of the fact that God takes any kind of enjoyment in your suffering. He is not afflicting us in any way. He's not, you know, God does not just like bounce cancer bombs at people. He, he doesn't just try and teach us stuff through poverty or lack. He doesn't like, he doesn't try and sever relationships so that you'll cling to him. There are religious bombshells out there that are just wrong. That are, that are just wrong. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you would have life and life abundantly. When Jesus came and he announced why he was here, and he said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. He talked about healing. He talked about freedom. He talked about hearts that are made whole. He talked about restoration. He talked about life. This is what we're called to. So even in the midst of the hard stuff that we're in right now, we shift. We very purposefully shift. And my caution would be that we don't blame God. I believe according to the word, when we're blaming God for the bad stuff, we have a hard time praying in faith. It's hard to expect anything good from somebody who you think's just shafted you. Like... Why, why would I believe any good from God? God leaves us free will so that we can choose him. And when we fully operate in the free will, abiding in the vine, we experience life and life abundantly. So some might be at the very beginning of that process and you are like 2% abundant life, 98% garbage. Stick to the vine. Draw deeply from the vine. Refuse to blame God. Refuse to buy into, you know, I, I just, you know, there's no hope. I'm going to be like this forever. No, God can change everything. When you abide in the vine and you say, okay, God, I'm coming into prayer. I want to pray the kind of prayers that you want to answer. Show me what to pray. Give me a scripture. I'm going to pray the word. I'm going to pray what you have to say about the situation. I'm going to give you the credit of calling you who your word says you are. And I'm going to recognize that it's possible that some of the stuff that is lousy in my life right now is based on some of my own rebellious choices. And right now, I'm done with it. And I'm coming running back to you. I'm coming, coming running back to that son chair, that daughter chair. I'm coming back into relationship and I'm just done with it. Place things in the right packaging. Let's stand together this morning. I want to pray over you. And we're going to close in this song and declare over our lives. But then after that, if anybody would like prayer, and I know there's some deep stuff going on. I'm going to have the, the prayer team come. We might need some extra people. But like, don't leave here today weighed down or or boxed up in like, oh, God's done this. No. If it's good, it's God. If it's not, it's not. If it just feels like, you know, things are a little tense or tight, that could be this withholding season that is actually about abundance. Filter it properly. Ask God to help you discern what's really going on. So Lord, this morning, we thank you for your kingdom. 
We thank you, King of glory, truly sovereign one, Lord God. We thank you that you're ultimately in charge. We thank you, Lord, that you, you let us choose the path of our life. But God, when we choose according to your plans, it is so full of life. When we choose according to the way you operate, it's so full of hope and peace and joy. It's so full of the kingdom. And so God, today I pray over this house that any place where we have attributed wrongly, where some of the consequences of decisions, some of the things that are part of this earthly realm that are broken and damaged, God, where we've blamed you, we ask your forgiveness this morning. And even though we're not, we're not so delighted with some of the hard stuff that happens, we are grateful for free choice and free will because we, we get to choose you. We get to love you. We get to live in that relationship, not as slaves, not as have-tos, but God, we get to. And you invite us into that relationship. And it's, it's got some give and some take, and it's got some, some um, conversations and time spent together. And we're so grateful for that. Lord, I pray for anyone this morning who's been dealing with the baggage, the bondages of this realm, Lord, and it's been carrying over and it's been hard to know how to navigate a good God through that filter. God, today, I just pray for freedom in Jesus' name. We declare it in the house in Jesus' name. Lord, even if it's been so, so, so hard, I thank you, Lord, that you can heal the brokenhearted. You can heal physical bodies. You can heal minds. But God, we thank you that you, again, you've come that we would have life and life abundantly. So I pray a release this morning, any long-term bondages, God, that have just been weighing people down. I thank you that they lift off today in Jesus' name. And there's a new sense of hope, a new sense of life. God, any place where we have bought into that false leaven, where we've allowed it to, to flavor us or to, to um, taint us in any way, God, any religious spirit, any political spirit, any, any, um, anything that is of the DNA of the enemy, God, that has just flavored how we operate. God, we reject that today. And we ask that you would flavor us, that you would leaven us, God, that you would cause us to be raised up on the inside with the kingdom of heaven. Lord, that we would carry you and that everywhere we go, it would begin to spread. Lord, the people around us would be impacted by your leaven in our lives, God. And we thank you that as we continue to pray, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, that fills us with optimism because you are a good God. And we thank you for shifting our thinking today and helping us to walk fully in the light as you are in the light, God. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this message from Victory Church Grand Prairie. You can stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by using at VictoryChurchGP. If you have any questions, would like to access our online resources, or would like to sow into this ministry, you can visit us at www.VictoryGP.com. You can also text to give. Just text 587-207-4387 and follow the prompting. Thanks again for joining us at Victory GP. Reach. Teach. Mobilize.